Hi, my name is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Oheb Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So for this week's Parsha, Mikates, I wanted to look at the character of the Sar Hamashkim, Paro's cupbearer. The commentators identify multiple moments throughout Yosef's story that cement his fate in Egypt, whether it's at the beginning of his story, when he goes down to see his brothers in Shechem, which leads to him being sold into slavery, or it's later in the story when there's the big famine and he works his way up to be at the very top. There are lots of moments that could, we could argue, are the moment that cemented his fate. But one of those moments that doesn't get quite as much attention is when the Sar Hamashkim, the cupbearer in this week's Parsha, remembers Yosef and tells a distraught Paro that there actually, there is someone, an Ivri, in a jail who maybe could interpret Paro's dreams for him, which of course leads to Yosef's relief from jail, release from jail and his elevation in Egyptian society all the way up to serving Paro directly. So what I wanted to do today is look at the story of the Sar Hamashkim in detail starting back at the end of last week's Parsha with chapter 40 in Breshit to see what exactly happened. So the Sar Hamashkim appears together with the Sar Ha'ofim. And we're told in the first Pasuk in chapter 40 that they chatu, that they both sinned against the king of Egypt. And then in verse 2, we're told that Paro got very angry at them and subsequently put them in jail. So before we think about what that sin might be, because intriguingly, I guess the text decided it wasn't important. The Torah doesn't tell us what that sin was. We have to consider for a moment, who are these two people? Now, the Sarha Ofim, the chief baker, we presume that he oversaw the food production or at the very least all of the baking that was involved, right? He's the top chef of that division of Paro's kitchen. But we know more about who the Sarah Mashkim, who the cupbearer might have been. For ancient Egypt, the king's cupbearer was a very important position. Uh, the king chose someone who was very trustworthy, um, who was dignified, someone he could really rely on because that person served the king all of his wine, which was considered both a position of honor, but also a position of trust because tainting the king's wine would be one way that enemies might try to harm him and poison him. And so it was the role of the cupbearer both to guard the king's wine, to have the honor of serving it to him, and also occasionally even taste it for him if I guess the king was feeling especially paranoid and was concerned that someone might be out to get him. So the fact that the cupbearer, first of all, he is an important person. And the fact that he has sinned against Paro is also a big deal, whatever that might mean, which might be why Paro gets so angry at them, or at least at the cupbearer, that he throws them into the prison that Yosef is overseeing. So before we move on to what happens next, I also just wanted to look at the Malbim for a moment because the Malbim has an interesting take on what the Sarha Ofim and the Sarah Mashkim could have done to get Paro angry enough at them that he put them in jail. So he actually, the Malbim looks at, um, 
he thinks about, well, what was the Sar Ha'ofim? What was he in charge of? He says he was just, you know, like I said, the person who oversaw all of the bakers. And so he, he says what probably happened is that there were some pebbles in Paro's food, right? That it was, a, it, there was some kind of problem with his bread um, and that they would have gotten in with the flour and they wouldn't have been sifted out properly. And so the Sar Ha'ofim, the baker, is guilty by association. Clearly, he was not the person who was literally sifting the flour, but it was his kitchen and therefore it is he is the one who ultimately should be the one responsible in accepting the punishment but the cupbearer uh, the malbim argues would have been much more directly guilty because he is just serving one glass of wine to paro he's much more directly involved and he would have should have checked the cup both before and he checked after and if he had then he would have seen the fly because the malbim assumes that what happened was that there was a fly in paro's wine and then he would have taken it out directly and so the cupbearer, according to the Malbim, actually sinned more than the baker. And as the Malbim will argue, the fact that the cupbearer is the one who survives is a sign of God's involvement in this story. But either way, I wanted to just lay that out so we can think about what happened that led to this moment. So we know that the cupbearer and the baker are scared because they've been in jail and then they have, they each have dreams that lead them. They're so upset that Paro takes one look at them and says, wow, you guys look terrible. What's wrong? Um, and then they each tell them Paro interprets it favorably for the cupbearer and not so favorably for the baker saying that in three days time you're going to be killed. So then here we are three days later. It's Paro's birthday and he is throwing himself a party with all of his servants with all of his officers and rather than leave the Saramashkim and the Sarha Ofim in jail where they've been for quite some time we don't know exactly but the text implies they've been there for a while he literally according to the text lifts up their heads which I take to mean it's a little ambiguous but what I think this means is that for Paro's birthday party for all of his officials, he decides he's going to bring back his, bear, his baker and his cupbearer. And they're all at this party together. And we have to wonder what the cupbearer and the baker are thinking at this point, because they know what Yosef's interpretations of their own dreams and each other's dreams was. And now here they are restored at this party for Paro with all of his officials. So I would have to think that at this moment, they're living with some kind of unease and not really sure what's going to happen next. But the text tells us what happens next, that Paro places the cup um, in the, to the cupbearer. The cupbearer is restored to his position, but the chief baker is put to death, just as the text says, as Yosef had told them. Now, before they had been released from prison, Yosef had said to the cupbearer, please, when you get out, you know, when you're restored, please don't forget me. You know, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. Um, but as the text tells us in the last verse of that chapter, the lo zachar sar hamashkim at Yosef v'yishkachehu. The sar hamashkim did not remember Yosef and he forgot him. So the text gives us this impression that the Sar Hamashkim, you know, he'd been thrown in jail for some time. He's released, he's restored, and up, oh, he's done with 
Yosef and he just forgets him altogether. And so as a result, you know, we, we end up not thinking so super favorably about him because how could you forget Yosef? Yosef is our hero of the story. I mean, what does it mean to forget him? It must mean that you're, you know, kind of a, a, a flighty person that you don't really value these things so seriously in other people. But I actually, you know, I always like to consider multiple viewpoints. I think one of the most beautiful things about the Torah is that there are subtleties that invite us to consider multiple viewpoints. So thinking about all this for a moment from the Sar Hamashkim's point of view, something went wrong a while ago with Yosef's cup. He was, I mean, excuse me, not with Yosef, with Paro's cup. And the Sar Hamashkim is as a result, he is thrown into jail, right? Paro, he sinned against Paro and now Paro is angry at him. Then he has this dream that he's going to be restored. But hey, the other guy who sinned also was to be killed. You're living with a king. Your job is to sort of abate the paranoia of the king. You're living with an angry king, a king who is scared of you, who you are scared of, and a king who killed the other guy who sinned, right? So you have to be living with a certain amount of fear and trauma from this experience. So the fact that he forgot Yosef, I think really means he forgot that whole time that he was in jail, that this bad things had happened, right? He blocked out that whole part of his life, which I think is understandable because this is a person who is living in, in a tenuous, tense um, circumstances, I think, in which your, your life kind of always hangs in the balance because you are at the mercy of a king who is not really such necessarily such like a, an ethically minded king and certainly one who is um, prone to lash out when, when he sees fit. And so that is what the setting is that brings us to this week's Parsha. It's now two years later. The Sar Hamashkim is back at work. He's forgotten Yosef. He's tried to forget everything that happened. And then, lo and behold, Paro has these dreams that leave him incredibly distraught. And no one in Egypt can solve them. Now, if you're the Saramashkim, you're probably sitting there praying that one of these, uh, who are the Khartoumim, the, the magicians who are coming in that day to, to uh, try to interpret this, uh, this Paro's dreams when Paro's so upset, you're probably sitting there praying that one of them interprets it. But as it's going on and no one can, the issue, this whole situation with Yosef and the way he properly interpreted your dreams is creeping back into your mind. And it reaches the point where Paro is so agitated, no one can tell him what is happening with his two dreams. And you have to make a decision. Are you going to block out this whole situation with Yosef and not bring it up? Or are you going to bring it up? And then we are told that the cupbearer, the Saramashkim, speaks up and he says, I am going to be reminding you of my sins today. Paro got angry at me and the Sarofim and threw us into jail. And then we had this dream. And there was this Nar Ivri, this um, Hebrew youth in the jail who was able to interpret our dreams for us. Now, what is the significance of the Saramashkim speaking up here? He opens it by saying, I have to remind you, Paro, one time I sinned against you and I was thrown into jail and you got angry at me. And, um, you know, as a result, I had this dream and then the whole story unfolds. Imagine what it took for the Sarhamashkim, working for a paranoid king, an erratic at times king, to remind him and say, remember that time I totally screwed up and you threw me into jail? I mean, who wants to remind a king like that 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 ever happened? But yet he does. And his willingness to bring up the Sar Hamashkim, of course, um, and, and excuse me, to bring up Yosef is what leads Paro to pull Yosef out of jail. 
Now, I just want to conclude with looking at um, the perspective of the uh, the Ketav and the Kabbalah. So he says that when, why, a lot of the commentators um, ask the question, why does the um, Saramashkim say, I want to remind you of my sins today? Why are sins plural? And he offers two answers. He says either that the Saramashkim had two sins because he didn't check the cup to see if it was clean at first. And then also he didn't check the cup once it was full with wine to see if there were any flies in it, that those were the two sins. Or he says, he proposes like many others say as well, that the two sins were the first was whatever the Saramashkim sinned against Paro with the wine. And the second sin was that he forgot Yosef. Now, both of these are important because either the Saramashkim is both articulating at detail his sins to Paro by saying there were two steps, or he's saying to Paro, remember that time I sinned against you? I didn't just sin against you. I also sinned against this Hebrew slave who's hanging out in the jail. Now, that's really belittling of himself to say that about himself, that I also sinned against this lowly Hebrew, right? The Egyptians didn't love Ivrim, and why would the Saramashkim be articulating that to Paro. Who cares? Paro doesn't care. And the Saramashim shouldn't care either. But by doing that, he's really lowering himself. He's humbling himself in order to do the right thing. And so both those interpretations of what he means by multiple sins, I think are really important because it, it, it emphasizes for us that the Saramashim is not a character that we should throw away, just like he threw away Yosef in the beginning. The Saramashim is actually a very admirable person who is standing in the, um, the you know, the, by the throne of Paro, who literally can at any moment just declare, order the Saramashkim's death if he feels the Saramashkim isn't doing a good enough job. And yet the Saramashkim is willing to take a step up, to dare to remind Paro of the sins that he committed against Paro in order to try both to help Paro and to right the wrongs that he did against Yosef by forgetting Yosef. And uh, this is, I think, one of those, you know, sliding door moments of the Yosef story where the Saramashkim easily could have said, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to go for it. I'm just going to stand here and not say anything. But he decides to go for it, which is a powerful comment on him and also a powerful lesson for us because many of us find ourselves in moments of fear where we feel like it's easier just not to say anything at all. But here, just like the Saramashkim, we should remember that there are times where even if we really have to put ourselves out there, whether figuratively or literally with, you know, risking ourselves, um, it's the right thing to do and both can bring about the redemption of the people you're talking about, but even an entire nation. Uh, so Shabbat Shalom.